Titus 2, uh, starting at verse 7 through to verse 10. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything they are, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Saviour. Um, can you guys hear me up the back there? No? Yes? Am I talking? All good? Thumbs up? Great. Thanks, Nate, for that. Um, let me pray for us. Father God, we want to come before your throne and we want to bow at your feet in our hearts and we ask as we continue this time of worship that you would uh, clear our hearts and minds from things that are distracting us and cause us to pause and hear what you're saying to us both individually but also corporately as a church. Oh Jesus, we pray that it's for your fame and for your glory. Amen. Well, good morning. I hope you are well. I hope you are dealing with this funny weather that we're having in Melbourne. Apparently it's summer. I'm not sure if that's happening yet, but anyway. Uh, as a church, we've been going through the book of Titus, and if you're visiting, a very special welcome to you. It's great to have you here with us. Uh, we've been journeying through this book of Titus, and we've been unpacking uh, something. Uh, we've been unpacking some clear, uh, distinctive uh, doctrines and truths, but it was really built on a clear foundation. And it's been the foundation that we've been constantly repeating every week, as we will repeat again this morning. We're reminded that in Titus 1, Paul, an apostle chosen by God to be a pastor, a church planner, to be a missionary, to go start these churches, including this one in Crete, was told to go and proclaim the message of the gospel of grace. This message of Jesus Christ. And not only that, not just a message, but to call people to live godly lives. But this godly life is very different from a bunch of guys that were around who were also proclaiming godly life. But this godly life that Paul is talking about, this godliness, is actually driven by grace. It's driven by a relationship with God that says, Hey, I love God because He saved me. And in light of that, I want to obey what He asks me to do. And then we were unpacking what that looked like in the life of the church. Because this gospel shaped the kind of leaders you looked for. It wasn't based on skill set, it was based on character. But it was also showing how we engage with those who oppose the gospel, who add to the gospel, through their legalism or liberalism, however you look at it. And last week we talked about what does it mean to be a gospel-shaped community? that engages with each other, where it's actually not driven out of religious pride, it's out of driven out of humility, where old men are called to stop being grumpy old men and young women are called to disciple younger women, but in their lives display this reality of the gospel that's shaping them and different characteristics and growing in them. It's not done by their own self-will, it's done by the power of God. God our Saviour. 
But what's driving all of this is this one term that keeps on coming through Titus. You'll see it quite often as you read it, this aspect of doctrine, sound doctrine. This sound doctrine that is so life-giving, it's healthy, it's holistic, it's not just something that is a term. It actually impacts their life so much, it impacts what they do. Everything they do is impacted by it because they're living out what they believe. They're living out what they believe. So today, we look at three groups of people. One, young men. Two, Titus himself. And three, slaves or bond servers, depending on what translation you have there. So, young men. I'm looking all over the place here because there are men in our congregation and you might be still young at heart, but at the heart of this, young men. What is Paul saying to Titus? Well, at the end of the day, Paul goes to Titus and says, listen, I want you to go and exhort and come alongside these young men to do what? To be self-controlled or to live self-controlled lives. Now, when I was reading this, it was quite interesting because you look at it and go, okay, that's the only thing that's said in regards to young men, self-control. Now, if I was Titus, I would have gone, flipping the pages around, maybe he's missed something, apparently Paul might have bad handwriting, we don't know, but maybe he didn't say things clearly. Maybe he SMS Paul and said, mate, did you miss something? All I have is here, young men, self-control. But see, self-control is nothing new in the book of Titus. Self-control has been talked about often in Titus. In chapter 1, verse 8, it actually talks about the elder, the one who you're looking for and their qualities. One of their qualities is that they need to be self-controlled. In chapter 1, verse 12, we actually see the total opposite of what self-control looks like in the lives of these Christians who are always lying. They can't control their tongue. They're evil beasts means that they're undisciplined, unruly, they're out of control, they don't love living under authority. There's no self-control there. They're lazy gluttons. They're lazy. They just live life for themselves. There's no self-control there. In chapter 2, verse 2, last week we were told that one of the characteristics in the older men is self-control. In older women as well, they're encouraged to teach younger women to be self-controlled. So it's nothing new. But here... This is what Paul wants Titus to do. Come alongside these young men or youthful men or either they're young in their faith or a bit fresh. Either way, they are young in maturity. And Paul is saying, I want you to come alongside these men and tell them to be self-controlled. To be young men who are sound in mind, who are sober-minded, they exercise self-control. Now, this self-control is very different from the legalistic kind of self-control. See, this is driven by a relationship with God. This is driven by the perspective that God is in control of their lives and God desires good things for them. And so in light of that, they're actually going to deny themselves certain things they know will affect their relationship with God. So, Paul is saying to Titus, live, ask them to live self-controlled lives. So I've been sort of thinking, why just this for young men? See, this is a repeated instruction. It's a repeated command. But I think at the heart of this, what I think Paul is saying 
to Titus is come alongside these young men who are not able to live self-controlled lives, who are struggling. It's like saying, Titus comes up to a young fellow and says, bro, dude, what up? That's probably what he's doing because he's trying to be cool and hip and contextualize. He says, mate, I noticed that you're not going well in your walk with the Lord. You need to live self-controlled life. And like most blokes, they will turn around and go, well, how do you do that? How do you do that? And at that point, I wonder if Titus would say, well, let me tell you how you do that. You need to have a talk to some of the elders in the church who have been called to have, live self-controlled lives. They're modeling it. You need to talk to some of the older men in our church who are also modeling it. And also, I've been charged by my disciple, my leader, Paul, who's telling me to live a self-controlled life too. And so we're going to model it for you. This language is very different from just saying, live self-controlled life, here it is, smack him across the face, and the young man's going, on. Oh, now what do I do? It's not about laying on them legalism. It's actually driven by, hey, I'm going to come alongside you because I know you're struggling and I love you because you're a brother in Christ and I want you to love Jesus more than what you're loving now. And here, let me show you. Let me show you what that looks like. And I wonder that's what Titus is saying. I think why Paul has just made this very clear. And self-control is an issue for everyone, really. It's not just young men. But just like in that generation, self-control is still a challenge today, isn't it? Now, young men in Canterbury Gardens Community Church, young men listening in, one of the temptations for us who are in church leadership is to come and be so hard on you and be legalistic and throw you around and say, you just need to suck it up and you need to be self-controlled. Now, that's one way to do it. And you might get motivated from this morning and go, yes, I need to live self-controlled life. But if you do it yourself, you will probably do it for maybe a week, maybe a month. But you still feel that weight. You're not getting there. But it's like, you know, those unrealistic um, New, Year's re- New Year's resolutions that you make every year. You know, I'm going to do this next year. I'm not going to do that anymore. At the end of the day, it's all done by you. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to somehow achieve it, but at the end of the day, you can't. You can't live that self-controlled life because what's missing is this component of living a self-controlled life is driven by God. It has to be driven by God. So you need to firstly confess that need. You're not living a self-controlled life and you need to confess that need to God and ask for His strength. You need to look around you to some of the leaders in the church, to uh, older men in the church and say, look, who are those people, those men that I can look to and say, hey, what does it look like to live self-controlled lives? So it's not done out of legalism, but it's out of done for a relationship with God and going, I value God far more than what the rest of the things around me are tempting me to do. So young men, this is what it looks like to live self-controlled lives. See, but here in 2014, being a young man is really challenging. Temptations have always been there, always will be. But the reason why I think particularly in Australia, being a young man is hard because 
Young men these days are not encouraged to grow. Young boys are not encouraged to become men, but they are encouraged to stay as boys. They're encouraged to stay as boys. And what do I mean by that? Well, you see it in our culture, right? One of my favorite shows is Hamish and Andy on Fox FM. I listen to them, you might not like it, but I find some of their pranks and things funny to listen to. But guess what? Hamish is 32 years old and Andy is 33 years old. That is not a young boy. They're meant to be men, but the pranks and things, which is funny to some extent, at the heart of it, they're acting like boys. They're extending their youth. They're extending their youth. So young men who should be young men, who've got their licenses, who've got some sort of job and so on, but they're being challenged to stay as boys, to extend their youth. If you're a young man, if you're a young man who's a Christian, God is calling you to step up, not in your own strength, your own effort, but with God's grace. So you begin firstly in humility and saying, God, I need you. I need you because I'm being a boy right now and I need to grow to desire to be a godly man. And then assess in your own heart, are you living self-controlled lives? And how can you assess? Well, I'm going to use Titus because Paul charges the church by using the Christians and three things that he points out to them. They're always lying. So, young men, are you self-controlled in your words? Are you prone to lie? Do you make yourself the center of attention, prideful in your words? Is your answer always, yeah, I know, because I searched it on Google? What about number two? What about in your interactions with each other? Are you willing to live under loving authority, whether at home, in your workplace, in church? Or are you always wanting to be the boss for the wrong reasons, because it's driven by pride, but not a heart for servanthood? What about your interaction with your sisters in Christ who are around your age? Is it questionable? In the way you talk to her, in the way you view her, in the way you address her, do you honor her as a daughter of God? Young men, are you self-controlled in your lifestyle, at your workplace, in, in leisure, in study? Are you one who does not want to get a job and you're kind of lazy and you, or you might be the other extreme. It's all about work. It's all about saving. It's all about the money. And maybe if you're still living at home, young men, is mum still doing your washing for you? I remember to this day, my mum, good on her, I was 19 and uh, she was still doing my washing for me. Now, if you're, if you're a mum and if you want to defend that, come and talk to me later. And we can have a chat. But my mum was doing that, right? And I still remember to this day, my mum coming up to me and saying, you're, you're 19, I'm not doing your washing anymore. Grow up. And she had every right to do that. So young men, in a simple way, what are you acting like at home? Are you self-controlled at home? What about young men? Are you drowning in some sort of addiction of some sort? And you're not actually seeking help. You're trying to control it yourself. A self-controlled life is driven to say, hey, I'm going to say, look, I need help. You're drowning in it. But in all these areas, you need to ask the question, no matter where you sit on it, 
is what I'm doing in my reaction, in my action, does it bring glory to God? Because that's what a self-controlled life is about. Does it bring glory to God? Because with God's help, you can say no to things. Because you will fight. And there's every man, young and old, all in this church, who are fighting for things every day, against things in every day. But guess what? You cannot do this on your own. And that is good news. That is good news for a young man. Notice what Paul's doing here. What's he saying to Titus? Go alongside these young men. So it wasn't just Paul attacking or uh, charging or challenging the young men in the church. He's asking Titus, I want you to go alongside these young men. So you can't do it on your own. You need older men, church leaders, godly men that you look to to come alongside you and not pummel you, but encourage you and love you and say, hey, listen, this is not good for you. Live self-controlled life. The men who will point you to Jesus and men who will keep you accountable. On a side note, very quickly, I just want to say this. This is not in the passage. If you're a young lady who's looking for a young man who loves Jesus, I just want to make this note to you. When you're looking for a godly man, ask this question, does he love Jesus? Secondly, does he have a relationship with God? I'm not talking about on Sunday mornings. I'm not talking about that small group. Does he have a relationship with God? He's not perfect, but he's wanting to grow in his characteristics in God and work in his life. Is he willing to live under authority, loving authority at home or maybe at, at work, at church? Because at that, you're seeing his heart. You're seeing his heart. The other thing is also, are you far more spiritually mature than him when it comes to being self-controlled? You're the one who always has to have the conversation about defining the relationship or how far you're going and you shouldn't go that far physically. The other thing is, this is just a side funny one, ask his mum. Have a conversation with his mum and ask, what, what's he like? Ladies, the reason why I'm saying this, you live in a world that will be filtering things for you and telling you this is how you pursue a relationship. See, God's perspective is very different. God's perspective is for you to look for to Him first, find your satisfaction in Him first, and if you desire to pursue a relationship with a man, particularly a young man, first you begin with the thought that he needs to be a godly man. And if you are in a relationship that is not that, I know it's hard. We're praying for you, we'd love to pray with you afterwards and walk that through with you. So young men, can I encourage you to make a step to live self-controlled lives in the light of Christ? And in light of that, Paul gives Titus some instructions, specific instructions to, uh, to Titus. And he tells to Titus in verse 7, in all you're being, you should reflect this reality that's going on, this doctrine, this truth, this reality, that you belong to Jesus, that you have his seal of approval, and you should reflect in everything that you do, in all aspects of your life, that you are a follower of God. You are a leader under God's authority. Not just on Sundays, Titus. Not just during small groups, but all the time. And this is a great way for a young pastor to hear from his mentor, 
this you need to do, Titus, because this will model to your young men as well. But he doesn't stop there. He challenges Titus, even in his teaching. Don't be blasé about your teaching. Teach with integrity. Make sure there's no corruption in your teaching. They take seriousness in what you teach and proclaim. Make sure it's clear and sound because these are words from God. Why? Why is he challenging Titus? Because there's something far more greater at stake. In the following verses, we see that, right? It's about their witness. So there are opponents against Titus and Paul. There's always opponents against the leaders in the church. They will try to attack. They will try to bring false accusations against them. But Paul's saying, both in your life and both in your word, if you're teaching the gospel, if you're making sure that's a center, there will be no charge. Their words will not stand against it. Because it's driven and founded in Christ. Now, not all of us here at Canterbury Gardens are going to be called to be a church pastor or an elder. Maybe you're thinking about becoming a pastor. Maybe you're thinking of being in Christian leadership. So when I read these verses this week, man, I felt the weight of this. I felt the weight of this. In church, as a pastor of this church, I would encourage you, if you're part of Canterbury Gardens, if you're wondering how you can specifically pray for your leaders, look at this list and pray that these characteristics grow in us. But at the end of the day, whether if this doesn't specifically apply for us who are leaders or pastors, some of us are, it doesn't change the fact that you and I are always constantly being watched. All of us are being watched. In our workplace, in our homes, they're trying to see what characteristics are growing in you. Will you reflect the gospel of Christ or will you reflect something else? And in light of that, this is why I think it comes in the following verse in verse 9. See, in verse 9, Paul addresses uh, the slaves or, or the bond servants or servants in that context. Now, uh, in, that, in that culture, it was norm. It was the norm to have uh, people who had, were slaves. They were people who either conquered people and they were captured and they became slaves. There were also those who were slaves that uh, became bond servants and that they chose to stay with the master, that they were sort of employed by them, but terrible conditions. But in that time, in that era, many of them were coming to become followers of Jesus. And so Paul says to them, look, I need you to think this through and I need you to address these people to live this way. That they are submissive. That they are submissive in humility to those who are in authority over them. That they are well-pleasing. They are well-pleasing acceptable to God and, and they are grateful for what God has given them this position even though it might not be the best deal but they are there. They are well-pleasing in their behavior. They're not argumentative. They're actually not wanting to just fight and argue with their boss or say in opposition or contradict things. They're not pilfering or stealing. They've not set apart things inappropriately for themselves for their own selfish gain. And at the heart of it, they're showing good faith. They're trusting. Now, last time I checked, I'm pretty sure there's no Christians in our church who are slaves. I'm pretty sure that there's no slaves in this regards here in our context today, in this church anyway. But I, I know it's a long weekend, but how many of you are excited about going to work on Tuesday or Monday? 
Now, some of you are. Some of you love your job and you might be excited about it. What about those of us who are business owners or, uh, uh, you know, you're a manager and you have a bit of authority? How much are you excited about dealing with that client you've been trying to avoid for the whole week? See, even though this is addressed in slaves and bond servants, uh, this is actually applicable for us today because it's God's word. See, I think what happens as Christians, what we tend to do is we have this bubble that we create. I don't know if you've heard about the bubble. It's the bubble called uh, sacred and secular. Right? So sacred is Sunday mornings, small group, Bible study. Work, not so sacred. I can do what I do. You know, it doesn't matter. This is just what I, I just, just do my job. See, you might even be sitting here thinking, but you don't know my boss. You don't even know those annoying clients that I have to deal with every week. Look, I don't want to say that it's annoying. I don't want to play it down. I'm sure there are some challenges, but you need to ask the question, what does Jesus desire of you? What does God expect of you as an employee or a boss? I think it firstly begins with the right perspective. In the first part, Paul says to the slaves to be submissive. And what that's driven out of, I think, is to say, hey, listen, for those of us who are employees or a boss, remember that you all are actually called to be submissive. All of us here as Christians are called to submit to a greater, wonderful, perfect, best ever, always boss in Jesus Christ. We're under his loving employment. And so in light of that, we are called to be submissive to those who have authority over us in our workplace because we have a greater boss in Jesus Christ. And in light of that, we submit to him, we submit to our bosses, not begrudgingly. And I'm not talking about submitting being abusive. I'm not talking about uh, submitting so that you compromise in your faith. I'm talking submitting because you submit to Jesus. In light of that, you submit to the boss that God has placed over you. Another point is that as Paul continues, see, your reaction at work, there's a sense of thankfulness that should be coming out of you. See, when you're working, you should be working with such an attitude that you are so thankful. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you have much to be thankful for. You were destined for hell. And God chose to save you and make you his child, his son, his daughter. And in light of that, you have much to be thankful for. That includes in the context of your job. And and if you're a business owner, in some sense that should drive you on how you serve your customers. Which much thankfulness. Because it's an expression of God's grace shown to you when you work with thankfulness in your heart to those that you're serving. A few weeks ago, I was talking to someone from our church who works in a trade and he was talking about where he was called out to a client and he had to do a particular job for them. And this person had just lost their baby and he had to go in and help them out and serve them, particularly with an incident that happened there. And as he's going in and serving and he's not wanting to be there, it's the last thing he wants to do. He serves them, he loves them and he hears what's going on and he chooses not to charge them for that. You know what's driving that? 
that's driving that his understanding. He's been shown grace. He's been shown favor. He's been shown love. And that drives him to go, I'm putting the money aside. This is about showing the gospel to this person because that's what they need. Thirdly, at work, do you argue? No? Well, I think you do. Just kidding. You just argued with me. Do you argue at work? Now, this is very ingrained in us Aussies, isn't it? We love to have a bit of an argument. We love to debate for the sake of debating. But see, in this, it's saying, if you're arguing, it actually affects your witness at work. It affects your witness at work. And people might attack your faith. And we just reminded this morning, uh, the attacking that we might get is an abusive letter or an abusive word or shunning in the lunchroom. We will not be killed for our faith in, in this country. But here, are you someone who's prone to argue for the sake of arguing? Are you that annoying person who loves getting into debates for the sake of debating? You know that annoying person? It's kind of like that, you know when you turn off the light and there's that sound and you realize there's a mozzie in your room and you can't see it and you just want to swing it and you can't find it? It's so annoying. Are you that annoying argumentative person? Because if you are, I've got good news for you. God can help you to change that. Fourthly, are you someone who is prone to steal and pilfer from your workplace? Now, I'm hoping there's no one here funneling funds into your personal account uh, and uh, you know just getting extra interest and so on and, and building your own wealth. I'm hoping that's not happening. If that is, please come and talk to me. We'd love to have a good chat with you. But there are things and temptations that can happen, right? Oh, look, I might take some of these things home. They won't miss it. We've got a heap of them. Oh, look... I know they said 30-minute lunch break, but I might exit down to 40 minutes. They you know, I've worked really hard last week. What about morning tea breaks? You know, I might extend it out a little bit more. Maybe those of us who have uh, perks in your job, you know, real perks. You get to travel around. You get to use a card for uh, meals and so on. Are you using it above and beyond what you ought to? See, brothers and sisters, when you and I see that we have a greater boss in Jesus, the temptation should still should stop. See, I think often when people steal, they forget something. It's like a kid. Like my uh, little son, Elisha, was uh, mucking around with Lucy and uh, he was trying to see if I was watching. And I, he knew I wasn't watching, but in reality, I was because I was watching in the corner of my eye. And he walks past Lucy and he sort of goes past her and he sort of rubs against her and then he falls down and goes, Ow! He cries out in great lamenting pain that he's been hurt. Now, I know what happened. And see, but at the end of the thing, he's sort of driving that sort of idea, oh, Dad doesn't really know. But see, church, that's like us. We sit there and do things. We might steal a little bit here and there and think no one's watching. God, the creator of the universe, is watching what you're doing. Your heavenly Father is watching. You have a greater boss in Jesus He's saying, don't do that. That is not a good witness. But all of this is not possible to live out in in, in gospel centrality without faith in Jesus. Because out of faith comes this reality. So, what does that mean? Well, the last few verses says that. So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of our God and Savior. That is the foundation of all of these things. See what I mean by that? 
See, when you and I live in this reality with God's help, we're proudly displaying something far greater. We're displaying the effects of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and return in everything that we do. Because you know what? Much more than all these things that we just talked about, these disciplines, there's something far greater at stake. Because when you and I read commands like these, what we tend to do is we focus on it and go, oh yeah, I need to just live self-control life. I need to stop doing this. I need to stop doing this. Yes. And you think, oh, I need to do this so that I can become a better Christian. Yeah, okay, that might be helpful. But see, there's much more a bigger reality. See, young men, God calls you out to live self-controlled lives. Because in doing that, you're actually adorning the effects of the gospel. And in light of that, God is glorified. And it bears witness. Pastors, leaders, and elders, when you teach and live this reality, that means you're adorning the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that means God is glorified and opponents are shut down. When employees and business owners, when you display these characteristics in your life and the way you do work, you're adorning the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God is glorified. And guess what? You bear witness in your workplace. You're a missionary in your workplace. See, we need to all fix our eyes on Christ because he's the one who sets this doctrine into reality. So young men, don't just drown, but look to the man who was a young man once too when he lived here on this earth. And unlike you and I who struggle, he conquered sin. So look to him and rely on him. Pastors and elders, we need to constantly look to our Jesus who displayed this reality. Employees and businessmen, business ladies, owners, be mindful that you are actually working for a greater boss and in light of that, work well and do things well according to what God wants. So finally, some practical things to consider. Young men, don't make this another Sunday you go and you live self-controlled life. Go chat to a leader in the church, an older man, and say, hey, I'm struggling with some things. I want to walk on what does it mean to be self-controlled. Church, would you please use Titus as a prayer list to pray through for us as elders and pastors in this church so that we continue to grow to practice what we preach. If you're an employee or a business owner, can I encourage you maybe this week, set aside one to two hours. Why don't you look at this list that Titus has just been encouraging uh, the um, Titus has been encouraged to talk to the slaves about. Look at this list and ask God, hey God, is there anything in here that I need to change in the way that I'm an employee or a business owner? Church, this can all be done through God's power and His help. And this is what we're called to. This is the kind of life we're called to because it bears witness to people around us, wherever God's called you. Whether if you're a young man, a leader in a church, whether if you are an employee or a, um, a business owner. Let me pray for us as the band comes up. Father God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it's so amazing and true and practical. And who would have thought when you uh, um, spoke through your servant Paul to Titus to write these things down and that it would still be applicable today in 2014 for us as a church. God, we just praise you. We thank you for that reality. We pray that you'd help us to be raising a generation of young men who are self-controlled under you, Lord Jesus. We pray that you'd help us as pastors and leaders and 
those who are aspiring to be pastors and leaders, to be um, men and women who are living out reality of this true doctrine that you speak of through Titus. And we pray for us who are employees um, and business owners to reflect this wonderful reality of grace to those around us. In Jesus' name.